we need God's help to understand his word. So will you join with me as I pray on our behalf? Uh, let's pray. And gracious God, we do thank you for your word, your good, your powerful and your wise word, that word which you brought all things into existence. Lord God, as we approach your word tonight, may you do a wonderful work in our hearts. May you bring our hearts to life. Lord God, may we be, may we be like those who build our houses and not on sand, not on the things of this world, but may we be like those who build our houses on the rock that is your son as we hear these words and put them into practice. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, the last few weeks have been quite chilly for our, our country. We've been hit with, uh, with freezing mornings as their winter bites, especially in Melbourne. And to be honest, for me, I can't wait uh, for winter to finish because well, spring comes around and spring can only mean one thing. Not hay fever, no. Uh, veggie gardening. And I'm an avid, but I'm a hopeless uh, veggie gardener. One of my favourite hobbies is to look at all the seed packets. I go through the stores and look at all the seed packets and figure out uh, when to plant certain things. Some seasons are more appropriate uh, for some seeds. In Victoria, things are usually planted in spring. So I'm so very eager for spring to roll around. Uh, when do I garden? Well, it's usually just spring and maybe even some, uh, some summer. I don't care much for other seasons. Now, you may have certain hobbies, activities and interests that are influenced by the seasons uh, or the circumstances of your life. But I wonder, when do you live by faith? When do you live by faith? Is it just through the good and fruitful seasons, and then not during the, the, the bad and the hard seasons of life. Well, I hope as we explore God's word tonight uh, that we'll see together that faith is for all seasons. Living by faith is for all seasons of life. And in case you've, uh, you've missed it or you've just joined us, the topic has been that of, of faith. In fact, that is the purpose of the book of Hebrews. The writer encourages us to live by faith and not to shrink back. And throughout the letter, a picture has been painted of the battle that is between faith and unbelief, of taking God at his word or not. The contrast between those who, who, who shrink back and are destroyed and those who have faith and persevere. And we've been on a Hebrews 11 tour, walking uh, through the, the whole of faith, seeing the picture of the faithful uh, saints, seeing how ordinary people uh, took the extraordinary God. They were obedient. They showed a living faith, an active faith. They trusted in God's promises and lived, lived their lives in response to these promises. Indeed, God was at work in their lives, showing his amazing power. And we find ourselves today at the end of the tour, and it's a bit of a rush in the end. See there in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith see God's power on display, 
who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, and obtained promises. Take, take the first four blokes that, that are mentioned, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. They're ordinary. There's actually nothing special about them. In fact, as we read their stories, we see men who are fearful, men who fail to stand up, men who are making rash decisions, sometimes even decisions that, that are just outright dumb, leaving us wondering, what is, what is going on in your head, mate? Where is your moral compass gone? Yet these blokes showed faith. They took God at his word. And God's power was on display through their lives. It's actually quite remarkable when you think about it. Because they were all living in a time in which people shook their puny fists at God and rejected him for generations. Where Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. And even in the midst of security and prosperity, God was forgotten. And people only cried out for deliverance when, when disaster struck. And even then the crying out was over uh, more of a kind of a loss of personal tragedy. God was excluded from society. Yet God did remarkably amazing things through ordinary people who took him at his word, who displayed faith. There is the good season, the season of triumph. Just look again at the, at the list of remarkable feats who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises. King David, one of the guys who was mentioned, he was a little shepherd boy who took God and defeated the champion Goliath and he subdued the Philistines as he recognised that the battle is the Lord's. Kingdoms that are conquered. Justice is enforced in a time of anarchy where justice is not really on the agenda. The prophet Samuel was a beacon of light as he went around calling people to, to repent, to turn back to God, going on a yearly circle, uh, judging Israel, enforcing justice, bringing peace from enemies and rest in the land. God delivers on his promises as commoners trust in him. But, well, the, the list doesn't stop there, does it? By faith, there is deliverance from death who through faith stopped the mouth of lions. Blokes like Samson and David prying open lions' jaws with their bare hands and ripping them to pieces by faith, by trusting God. Remember the story of Daniel who was thrown in in the lion's den because he prayed to God and astonishingly no kind of harm was found on him because he trusted in God who through faith quenched the power of the fire. Recall remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who were living in a foreign land and expected to conform to the idolatry of the Babylonians but by bowing down to the king's golden image. Remember they refused to do so. They took God at his word and were subsequently hurled into the fiery furnace which was unbelievably hot. That even the guards who took them there were instantly burnt up. Remember, the fire had no power over Shadrach, over Meshach and Abednego. Not even a singed hair or a smell of smoke on them. God's amazing power displayed through those who took him at his word. Others escaped the edge of the sword. Those like Jeremiah who spoke the truth of God's word regarding judgment and the whole city, priests, prophets, those who were supposed to, to speak and minister God's word, 
they take hold of him and they want him exterminated. But God delivers Jeremiah. Jeremiah speaks God's word and God delivers him. Then there's the uh, miraculous military success. Weaklings who are turned strong, who all take God at his word and God fights the battle for them. So that foreign armies who are much more advanced and revered and whose number is more than the sand on the seashore are disposed of just like that. On display is triumphant faith of taking God at his word, of God doing the extraordinary. There's a season of fruitfulness. And as we're walking through the, the hall of faith, our eyes are suddenly focused on this. Verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Women received back their dead by resurrection. There is victory over death. All the feats that, that we've uh, seen, they've been impressive. But this, this is jaw-dropping. At funeral, it's quite a confronting reality. It reminds us of our own frailty. It reminds us of death. And the funerals that I've been to, no one has come back from the dead. No amount of medical advancement or technology can bring the dead back to life. Only God can do that. God raises dead children back to their mothers through the prayers of faith by Elijah and Elisha, people who take God at his word despite the current circumstances. And God is pleased with this. These are amazing feats a faith that is triumphant. God doing mighty acts through those who take him at his word. We see a fruitful season. But then the surprise. Did you see it? Did it strike you? Did you wonder? Maybe the author of Hebrews made a mistake. How on earth did the following frames make the final cut? I think they made it because they're true. These people, they're commended for their faith despite their apparent failure. They're losers in the world's eyes, but winners in God's. Winners because they live a life of faith despite the immediate outcome, despite the lack of success or victory or triumph, the lack of fruitfulness. Just to stop and think for a moment, isn't it wonderful that God's word is actually applicable for all seasons of life. The, the good and the not so good. There's no superficiality, there's no sugar coating. We can make sense of the world that we live in, the challenges that we continually face because of God's word. Back to the second half of verse 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they may rise again to a better resurrection. Some held to God's word. They lived out a life of faith and they're tortured for their faith. They didn't recant. They didn't deny God. They weren't freed. And the question that you and I must ask is why? Why did they still continue to live a life of faith, undeterred by the mocking and the flogging, Undeterred by the chains and imprisonment, Jeremiah, the prophet who escaped the edge of the sword, he didn't have an easy life, as we read before, especially as he spoke God's word. 
He was beaten and put in stocks. He became a laughingstock, an object of mockery, and not only by members of the public, but his own family and friends. He was put in prison. At a later time, he was thrown into this, this large cistern, a huge well of water that actually had no water in it, just mud. Thrown and left to perish for speaking God's word. Why live a life of faith even to the point of death? That's what verse 37 tells us. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. There's no deliverance here. We've just seen some escape the mouth of the lions, quench the power of the fire, and escape the edge of the sword. But here, there's, there's no deliverance. There's death. The priest Zechariah was stoned at the hands of his countrymen for speaking God's word. The prophet Uriah was killed with the sword. And tradition has it, the prophet Isaiah, he was the one who was sawn in two. Death for living by faith, for speaking God's word. And then there's exclusion from society, rejection by family and friends. second half of verse 37 tells us, They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. They're on the outer, living in extreme poverty because of their faith, of whom the world was not worthy. They're losers. They're a bunch of nobodies. They're not worthy by the world's standards, but worthy in God's eyes. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves and of the earth. This is not a picture of, of, of well-being, of prosperity and affluence. They have nowhere to live, no home. Everything has been taken away from them. And this would have actually resonated with the original hearers of the letter. Remember Hebrews 10, after believing in Jesus, the, 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 um, the audience of the Hebrews, they endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For they had compassion on those in prison and joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Why continue to live life by faith? Well, the tip-off is in the second half of verse 35. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. A better life. The, the original language puts it as a better resurrection. You know, if we thought that the women receiving back their dead, that was, that was amazing, that was absolutely jaw-dropping, well, there's something much, much more, much greater here. It's a better resurrection. Those in the Bible who were raised to life again, well, they died again. So being brought back to life was actually a pointer to something better. It was kind of like looking at the trickle of water down the rock and then turning our gaze to the magnificent and glorious and mighty waterfall, resurrection to everlasting life in the world to come. That is the better resurrection. That is why the saints of old continued to live by faith despite their gruelling 
They're debilitating and, and dire circumstances. A better resurrection. Looking forward to that heavenly city whose designer and builder is God, that heavenly country. It's quite phenomenal, actually, when you consider a verse 39, which says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. From Abel all the way through to Abraham, from Moses through to the judges and the prophets, None of them received what was promised. They could only see the realities from afar. Because Jesus, the one who would bring about the fulfillment of the promises, well, he hadn't arrived in the scene yet. He hadn't died on the cross. He hadn't risen from the dead. The better things were not a reality. The better hope, the better promises, the better covenant, the better sacrifices, the better and abiding possessions, and the better resurrection. But now, these things, they're a reality. That's what verse 40 says. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And the emphasis here is not on us. Like like the Old Testament believers needed us to be made perfect, as if we had something to do uh, with, with their salvation. No, no, no the, the, trust, the, the thrust is God providing something better, what Christ has achieved. He has perfected the Old Testament believers by his finished work. He has perfected the original audience by his finished work. And he has perfected us who trust in him by his finished work. So now they and us are perfect because of the one who has achieved the better things. And there's a, there's a beauty about that, that there's a wonder that we aren't those in the hall of faith. We aren't the, these, these great heroes of the faith, yet we still actually partake in the perfection of Christ. Apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The same perfection that they have, this perfection is actually not limited to a certain nationality but it's actually the fulfilment of the promise of God, that God would bring about people from every nation, tribe and tongue, that all people all over the earth would be blessed through the Lord Jesus. And that Jesus has saved and is saving and will save people from many backgrounds by faith in him. And there's a beauty and a wonder about that. And so as we walk this earth, we have the perfection of Christ. We have the better hope, the better promises, the better covenant, the better sacrifices, the better and abiding possessions, the better resurrection. So the question is, how much more for us to live by faith? How much more for us to live by faith? To live by faith in all seasons of life, in the good and fruitful seasons, and in the seasons of failures, of hardships, of fruitlessness. In the good and fruitful seasons. Have you come to recognise God's amazing handiwork as you take him at his word? Yeah, it's... It's God's handiwork is that sick relative is miraculously healed because, because after months, you've been praying for them for months. 
that that work colleague who's been so apathetic to the good news of Jesus finally asks you to pray for him in his time of need. That, that youth group member who's been on the fringes but begins to take her faith seriously. You're faced with that situation in which you realise your utter frailty, utter helplessness, and you cry out to God to sustain you, and he does. God's amazing handiwork. Do you recognise that? Are you thankful for it? Do you expect it? Do you expect God's amazing handiwork? See, I think, I think if we're expecting it, we'll be driven We'll be driven to consistently pray for that family member who doesn't know Jesus yet. We'll be driven to share the words of eternal life with a world that is hostile and is increasingly hostile to Jesus and not, not to go into that hermit crab mentality and, and, and hide under our shell. We recognise that others need to know of that better resurrection, that better hope will be driven to stand by God's grace in the face of temptation, not to give in the short pleasures of this world. We'll be driven to have that hard conversation with that Christian sister who has been inconsistent in her attendance to church and growth group, living by faith in the good, in the fruitful seasons. But the parallel truth is, there are seasons of failures and adversity. You don't need me to tell you that. For some of us, leaving by faith means enduring those difficult circumstances. And God has the power to deliver us from those present trials. But in his wisdom, he hasn't. And he might never, just like the saints of old. And you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, Shady, it's all too well and easy for you to say that. But come and see my situation for a day, or even just a couple of hours, and you'll think twice. Shady, you haven't seen the suffering that I've experienced. I see God's handiwork in others' lives who take him at his word. And I just so desperately want to be involved in that, that kind of work, but I just can't. I'm held back through, through that mental or that physical health issue. I need to take care of that sick parent or that sick child. And, and then there's, there's, the, there's the boss, the, the, those work colleagues that are unrelenting in their hostility towards my faith, towards me taking God at his word. Living by faith is difficult. I'm sure that's true. I don't know all the things that you're going through. Maybe your situation is much harder than anyone else's in this room. But it helps to remember that the saints of old, the ones who were losers in the world's eyes, were winners in God's. All of them were commended through their faith, whom the world was not worthy of. And so God isn't calling you to the impossible. He's calling you to himself, to take him at his word, no matter the circumstances. That in Jesus you have that better hope, that sure hope. So living by faith 
is taking God at his word, moment by moment, no matter the outcome, no matter the circumstance. William Carey was, a, was an influential English missionary who did a lot of work in gospel work in India, a Bible translation, education, social reform, and he set up the first uh, theological college in India. He had this wonderful saying, expect great things, attempt great things. He was known as the father of modern missions, inspiring many missionaries to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Many know about his work. But little do they know about his bedridden sister, Polly. For 52 years, she faithfully prayed for Carey's gospel work. Carey would often write to Polly regarding the challenges that he faced. And with each letter, Polly would faithfully pray. She took God at his word. She lived by faith despite her present circumstance. And friends, the present season or circumstance doesn't actually determine the reality of a person's faith. The genuineness of a person's faith is proved by who they have their faith in, the one who has achieved the better things. It's actually a good reminder to us not to judge the faith of others by what is happening to them. See, if a a brother or a sister is facing a season of hardships and turmoil, doesn't mean their faith is any less genuine, any less real. The long list of the heroes of the faith serves as a reminder that there are those who have genuine faith, yet live a life of hardship, a life of turmoil, and a life of pain. And friends, uh, for some of us here, uh, you've joined us for the first time or you may have been coming along for a while. And you might have been intrigued or, or uh, maybe even apathetic or, or, or thought that Christian faith is just wishful thinking. So can I encourage you to explore the Christian faith? Explore it for yourself. Pick up a gospel. Pick up a biography. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Pick up one one of those uh, that tells about the life of Jesus and then ask the hard questions. Does Christian faith create hope? Or does Jesus do something that creates the hope for faith? Ask yourself another question. Who or what do I place my faith in? All of us have faith. We express faith every day. But what matters is who or what you place your faith in. As we finish up tonight, may God give us the grace to live by faith in the good and especially in the not so good, in the season of fruitfulness and in the seasons of hardships and trial. And all these though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do thank you for your word, your word that is sufficient in all seasons of life. Lord, you know each and every one of our situations. For some of us, Lord, 
We are living in a fruitful season, in a good season of life. So help us to live by faith. Lord God, we, for some of us here, we live in a season of hardships, of turmoil and in pain. A gracious God, help us to continue to live by faith, no matter the circumstance. And Lord, we thank you that your promises are sure and true, and none of your words will ever fail, will ever fall. In your name we pray. Amen.